Hey, everybody. <laughs> and by everybody, I mean not only everybody that's here with me at our Banksmill campus, but also everybody who is joining us at our West campus, our Ridge campus, as well as those of you who are joining us online today. I'm glad you're here, wherever here happens to be for you. And I also want to take just a moment this morning to say a special welcome to all of our teachers and educators who are joining us today as you get ready to go back into a brand new school year. We, your church family, just want you to know how much we appreciate you, how thankful we are for you and the difference, the impact that you make, not only on the lives of children in our community, but the difference you make in our community as a whole. And so at all of our campuses, we just have a, a gift bag, a special bag. Do we put some supplies in there that we think you might need during the school year? But we basically wanted that bag and the things in that bag to be a tangible reminder to you as you begin this journey that you are not going into this alone. Your church family is there for you. We're encouraging you. We are supporting you and praying for you as you begin a brand new school year, and we're so thankful for each and every one of our teachers. I, I have to tell you, you know, sometimes I will hear people complaining that we have taken God out of the schools in our nation, you know, like we're taking God out of schools, and when I hear that, I have to kind of chuckle a little bit, first of all, because, well, God is God. God can go anywhere he wants, and nobody can tell God where he is or is not going to be. But I also recognize that God is in our schools every day because godly men and women are in our schools every day. Our teachers, administrators, cafeteria workers, assistants, nurses, they get up every day and they walk the halls of our schools and our classrooms and our cafeterias and the first aid room and the gymnasiums and the ball fields and they are literally being the power and the presence, the hands and feet of Jesus in our schools. So teachers, thank you Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Your church family loves you. And we are going with you in heart and soul and in spirit as you start this brand new school year. And I was thinking, you know, we're, we thought we were beyond a lot of things as a community and a culture with COVID and all that. But it's going to be another difficult and strange school year. So we just want you to know how much we love you. Pick up your gift on your way out and know that you are loved and being prayed for, okay? Thank you, teachers. I appreciate you, and I know your church family appreciates you as well. So if you'll grab your message notes, you'll see we are in week two of Habitudes. This series of messages in, we're, in which we are exploring the heart behind the habits that change our lives. I think most of us would agree that our habits impact our lives, right? That those things that we do consistently over time have a way of determining the direction of our lives. Like that old saying, sow a deed, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. And so habits are critically important in every area of our life, but especially in our spiritual growth. There are certain key habits we need to develop that help us become more like Jesus. But I would argue that it's not just about the habits we develop, 
But it's also about the attitude with which we practice those habits. It is the heart behind why we do the things we do. And I think that's what the writer of Psalms was talking about when he wrote these words in Psalm 119. He said, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. In other words, he's saying it's not just about following your statutes, doing the things that you've called me to do, but it's about making sure my heart is moving closer to you, that these habits not only bring me closer to you, but I'm motivated by a heart after God. And so these habitudes, these habits with the right attitude are what we are looking at to help us become more like Jesus, to live out our faith. So last week, we kicked this thing off by talking about the habitude of worshiping sacrificially. Worship is a daily habit we need to develop in our lives, right? Worship is not just one hour a day, one day a week, but it is glorifying God, giving value and worth to God on a daily basis. Sacrificially is the attitude with which we need to do it. That we surrender our desires, our preferences, what we want, and we put the focus on God. That was the first habitude we need daily in our lives. Today, the second habitude I want us to look out at is reaching out with compassion. Reaching out to others, being outwardly focused, is the habit we need to develop in our daily lives. And compassion is the attitude with which we need to do it. And I think that's what Peter was talking about when he wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice what Peter says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. There's so much going on in that passage, but there's three things I don't want you to miss. I've underlined them to point them out. First of all, Peter says, always, always be prepared. Reaching out is not something that we just do every now and then. It's not just inviting people to come to a service at Christmas or Easter. It's not just something we do when we're serving out in the community with our home group. We must always be ready to share Jesus with others. Second thing I want you to notice is Peter specifically tells us what we are to share with others. He doesn't say share a religion. He doesn't tell us to share the rules that people must follow. He tells us to share with others the reason for the hope we have. That's what we reach out to share with others, the hope. In fact, what Peter says is, be ready to give an answer to people who ask you why you have hope, right? And so for people to ask you why you have hope, the inference there is that we live in hope. As believers, we live and walk daily in hope. And hope is not the absence of struggle or pain. Hope is holding on to the unchanging rock of Jesus no matter what pain, struggles, or circumstances I'm going through. So we are to be a people of hope because we carry the message of hope. And so we must live in such a way that causes people to go, what is it about you? 
What do you have that I don't have? And then finally, Peter says, share this hope with gentleness and respect. You know, in the years that I've been following Jesus, I've seen a lot of Christians out on the street sharing the message of Jesus, right? But I haven't seen a lot of people doing it with gentleness and respect. I see angry people with bullhorns or or picket signs. I see angry fights on Facebook about theological issues. But Peter says we are to reach out with compassion, to care, to be kind, to be respectful of others. And now here's what's interesting to me. For Peter, these were not just words that he wrote for other people to do. This is how Peter lived his life. And in fact, in the New Testament book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, there's a great example of Peter reaching out with compassion to a Roman army officer by the name of Cornelius. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be hanging out. If you don't, it's okay. The key verses are printed on the outlines that you're looking at. Now to understand this encounter, you have to understand that at this point in the early church, the entire church was Jewish. All of the believers, all of the apostles, all of the people who came to faith after the day of Pentecost when the disciples preached in Jerusalem and 3,000 people got saved and joined the church, it was a 100% Jewish movement. People in the church were either born Jewish or had converted to Judaism at some point in their life. And so for Peter to reach out to an officer in the Roman army, meant that not only was he reaching out to an outsider, somebody who wasn't Jewish, but he was also reaching out to an enemy. Because the Roman government, and by extension, the Roman military, were the very people who were either persecuting the believers or supporting the Jewish elite in persecuting the church. And so for Peter to reach out to Cornelius not only took an attitude of compassion, it took an attitude of bravery to get out of his comfort zone. And as we unpack this encounter, I believe it shows all of us three keys to developing the habitude of reaching out with compassion. Three things that all of us are gonna need if we're gonna reach out with compassion to the people around us. Number one, reaching out with compassion requires being led by God. I have to be led by God. Listen, the only way that Peter and Cornelius ever crossed each other's path is because of God's direct leadership, God's intervention. This was not some random encounter that Peter had with Cornelius. In fact, Cornelius was living in the city of of Caesarea. Peter was all the way over in the village of Joppa, 40 miles apart. Now, that seems like nothing to us today, but at that time, a 40-mile separation when you had to walk everywhere would seem like being on the other side of the world. The only reason these two guys ever met is because they were both seeking God's leadership in their life. Notice verses 1 and 2. It says, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. 
He was a devout, God-fearing man, and notice, he prayed regularly to God. Now understand, Cornelius is not a believer. He is not a Christ follower. He is not even a Jew. In fact, he had probably never heard of Jesus or any about his death and resurrection or his life here on this earth. But he was a seeker after God. He was somebody who was hungry for God. Somehow, intuitively, intrinsically, Cornelius had realized that there had to be more to life than what he was experiencing. There had to be more than just living and dying the way that everybody else was. And so in that hunger, in that desire, he's praying to a God that he probably doesn't understand and doesn't know how he can connect with, but nonetheless, he's seeking God's leadership. And God responds. God actually sends an angel to Cornelius and tells him, if you want to know about me, there's a dude named Pete in the city of Joppa about 40 miles away, and he can tell you everything you need to know about how to follow me, how to know me more. And so Cornelius tells a couple of his servants to make that two-day walk to the city of Joppa, look up this dude named Peter, find him, and ask him if he will come and tell us how we can know God. And I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking, you know, it's so easy to look around today in our culture and to think, you know, people aren't just in, aren't interested in God anymore. People don't really care about following Jesus. Because if they did, I mean, come on, there's a church on every corner. If they wanted to know Jesus, they could easily find out about Jesus. So there's just not a lot of people who want to hear this message of hope. I know that's what it seems like, but I believe with all my heart that all around us are people like Cornelius, people who are desperate for hope. If you're not paying attention, maybe you don't realize we have a pandemic of hopelessness in our community and our culture. People are struggling. People are hurting. And many of them are crying out maybe to a God they don't understand or a Jesus that they think is different from the way the real Jesus is. And often those very people cross the path of our lives. Maybe it's in school, maybe it's in work, maybe they're just standing behind you in the line at Walmart. They're there, and they're desperate. Not only do we need to recognize that there are hurting people who need Jesus all around us, but we need to make sure that God is leading us to encounter those people where they're at. Because see, Cornelius was not the only person praying that day. Notice verse 9. It says, the next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, in other words, they're completing their journey, getting close to Joppa, Peter went up on the flat roof, that's the flat roof of the house, to do what? What does it say he's doing? To pray. And then notice this, it was about noon. Now, that's an interesting tidbit for Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, why would he want us to know it's at noon? Does it, why, why is that such a big deal? Here's why. Because noon time was not considered a regular time for Jews or Christians to pray. 
right? They had certain times of day when they prayed that were appropriate to prayer and they had that habit in their life, but noon was not one of them. I think what Luke wants us to know is that Peter's prayer was not just him going through the motions. This wasn't Peter just uh, checking the box on some religious obligation. This was Peter seeking God's direction for his life. And I'm telling you, if we really wanted to to develop this habitude of reaching out, we need to be seeking God's direction and leadership in our lives. You know, the Bible says that no one can come to God unless God draws them to him. And can I just tell you, God is still drawing people to himself today. God is faithful. His spirit is moving in the heart of lost and broken people all in our community. The question is, have we stopped asking God to lead us to encounter those people? Have we gotten so comfortable with the me, my, four, no more, shut the door, that we are no longer saying, God, lead me? Lead me to whoever. Give me your eyes. Give me your heart as I encounter people in my life today. Because if you really want to develop this habitude of reaching out with compassion, then we need to be praying daily. Add to one of your daily prayers, God, show me. Show me the Cornelius in my day today. Show me who is seeking after you Because if we want this habit, we got to start by being led by God. Number two, the second thing that reaching out with compassion requires is getting out of my comfort zone. I had to get out of my comfort zone. Now, this is really interesting. While Peter is up on the roof praying, it's noontime, it's lunchtime, and Peter starts getting hungry, right? And to make matters worse, the meal is not ready but it's being cooked downstairs. And so here's Peter up on the roof praying hungry, and he has to smell the food being cooked, but he hasn't been called to lunch yet. What I would say is that uh, um, he is praying hungry. He's prungry. He's up there praying, and he's hungry. And because of that, he's having a dream or a vision in his prayer, and it's not surprising that the vision, the dream he has, is about food, right? Because when you're hungry, that's what you dream about. But it's an interesting vision. Peter sees a vision of a sheet, a tarp, a huge tarp being lowered down from heaven to the roof where Peter is, and it's full of all kinds of animals. And a voice from heaven says, get up, Peter, you're hungry. Kill and eat. Now, if it's me, I'm like, break out the grill, baby. Wild game supper, all of this food, we're going to have an awesome meal. But Peter, Peter has a very different reaction. Notice verse 14 and 15. Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Now, what is that all about? Well, as a Jew, Peter had certain dietary restrictions. There were certain animals that they could not eat. God had given Moses a list of foods that were considered impure. And this was so deeply ingrained in Peter, in his tradition, into the way that he was raised, that the the angel had to give the vision three 
times to Peter. That's how ingrained Peter was in this comfort zone. And as Peter is wrestling with this, like, what does this mean? Why would God tell Moses to tell us not to eat these things? And then now, why would he turn around and tell me that it's okay to eat these things? And in the middle of wrestling with those questions, there's a knock on the door. And guess who it is? It's Cornelius's messengers. Why is that significant? Because, see, for Peter, as a Jew, it was not just about the food that you could eat that would make you unclean. You were also unclean if you spent time with those filthy Gentiles. If you hung out with them, if you ate meals with them, if you went into their home, you were considered unclean. And see, I believe in that moment, a light went off in Peter's mind. And he realized this dream was not about food. This dream was about stretching me out of my comfort zone. This dream was about me reaching out to people who are dramatically different than me. Because see, for Peter, reaching out with the good news of Jesus, not a new thing. In fact, it's what he did for a living. He was an apostle. This was his life's work. The difference was the people that Peter reached out to had always been people who were a lot like him. People who looked like him, talked like him, had the same values as he did, voted the way he voted, behaved in the ways that he behaved. So now... God is saying, Peter, I'm doing a new thing. I'm expanding my family beyond the nation of Israel. And I am inviting you to be a part of it. But for that to happen, Peter had to be willing to get out of his comfort zone. Guess what? So do we. 50 years ago, all our neighbors were a lot like us. When I was a kid, 50 years ago, eight years old, I could walk out of my house and every family in my neighborhood either proclaimed to be a Christian or was connected to a church. Now, being Baptist, we thought the Methodists and the Presbyterians were a little different than us. We weren't sure, but they believed in Jesus, and we all had the same values. But that was 50 years ago. That is no longer the case. That is no longer who lives in our neighborhoods. In fact, a a recent Gallup poll just revealed for the first time ever in American history, less than 50% of the Americans belong to a place of worship. Less than half of the people in our community are a part of a, not just a Christian church family, but any kind of house of worship, a mosque, a synagogue. We are less connected with God and less concerned about God than ever before. That is just the reality of our life. And we have a choice, church. We can get mad about it and we can gripe and complain that America's going to hell in a handbasket because all these people don't love Jesus and we're no longer a Christian nation. And we can scream and rant on Facebook all we want or we can get out of our comfort zone and be a part of reaching out 
with compassion to people who are dramatically different than us. I mean, the information in Gallup is crystal clear. The church in America is shrinking. All across the country, the church is shrinking. But can I tell you, the kingdom of God ain't shrinking. The kingdom of God continues to move forward. But the kingdom of God is growing outside the walls of our church. And we say, well, that's a new thing and a new day. Yeah, but let me tell you something. The kingdom of God has never been about what happens in here on Sunday morning. It's, what, it's about what happens out there on the streets of our neighborhood. And so for us to reach out to people who are far from God, it is no longer sufficient for us to just invite them to come to our church on Sunday morning. It's no longer enough just to invite them to come to us. Like Peter, we need to go to them wherever they are. Now listen, listen church, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying stop inviting people to come to church with you. There, there are still people who will respond to that invitation and you can be a part of reaching them by inviting people to join you on your campus. That's a great thing. In fact, today at all of our campuses, I'm giving you one of these little business cards. It is an invite card and you're only getting one of them today because I want this to be a trigger and a tool when you leave here. Put it in your car, put it in your billfold, in your purse. Take it with you this week and prayerfully say, God, who do you want me to reach out to with compassion? And interestingly, on the back side of it, instead of having all the locations and service times, it just has what's called a QR code and our church web address. Why are we doing that? Because the vast majority of people, their first encounter with our church is not going to be showing up on a Sunday morning. It's going to be checking us out online. That's just what people do now. They don't go anywhere without looking it up on Google and reading the reviews and checking it out and seeing what it looks like, feels like, and what those people are like. And so we want to direct people to that because they might not come at the first invitation, but they might watch online on Sunday or they might read something there. But for that to happen, like Peter we got to be willing to come off the roof in Joppa and make that trek to Caesarea. There's a couple of things that we are doing as a church to help us intentionally reach out with compassion to people who are significantly hesitant to ever come to a church. One of those is we're revamping our online presence, our website, our social media to make it more outwardly facing. We want to share the great practical information that is in God's Word. We want to answer the questions that lost and hurting people are asking. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you'd invite people to church, they'd come for the first time, and they would hear a very practical life application message, and they'd be like, I never knew the Bible talked about how to do this or was so practical. I never knew the Bible was so relevant to my real life. Well, if they won't come, how can they know that? By us making sure that we are letting people know, sharing the unchanging, life-changing truth of God's Word. That God has a lot of great things to say about parenting, about mental health, 
about your finances. So we want to make sure that we are relevant to the issues that people are struggling with because God's Word is relevant to those issues. The second thing we're doing collectively as a church, in just a few weeks in September, we are kicking off a six-week church-wide emphasis that we call Be the Church. Now, those of you who've been a part of Cedar Creek, that's not a new slogan for you. You know one of our core values is to recognize that we don't just go to church, that we are the church wherever we go. And so we're going to be loving on and serving in our community throughout that six-week period. Our home groups are going to be out serving, making a difference, showing God's love in practical ways, and praying on our rooftop that God would use that to open an opportunity to share the reason for the hope we have. If we're going to develop the habitude of reaching out with compassion, we've got to be led by God. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone in the way we've always done it. And then number three, we are required to share the gospel and our lives with others. To share the gospel and my life with others others. Because reaching out with compassion is not just telling others the good news of Jesus. It's also about connecting relationally with people. You know, it's interesting. Peter accepts the invitation to go to Cornelius's house in Caesarea. Now, Peter's thinking he's going to talk to Cornelius and his family. But when Peter gets there, the house is packed. Because Cornelius has invited his neighbors. He's told everybody, this guy Peter's coming to tell us about God. And so the place is packed to the rafters. And so Peter does what good preachers do when there's a crowd. He starts preaching. He starts sharing the story of Jesus. His own personal story of the difference Jesus made in his life. And notice what happens when he does this. Verse 44. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Listen, Peter shared the gospel message and revival broke out. The Spirit fell and people got saved. The Bible says everybody that was there responded and became believers. And so Peter didn't know what else to do. He just decided, let's baptize. And everybody there got baptized. It was a beautiful moment. Can you imagine it? But it doesn't stop there. See, Peter doesn't pack up and say, my work's done here. We had a little revival. They know Jesus now. I'm going back to my rooftop in Joshua. In fact, notice verse 48. It says, afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And guess what? He did. He, he stayed with them because for Peter, reaching out with the good news was not, was not just about getting more notches on his soul-winning belt. It was not just about being able to report larger baptism numbers to the home office in Jerusalem. It was about doing life and connecting relationally with these brand new believers because they needed more than just this powerful emotional experience with God. They needed to know what it looked like to live for God, how to live out your faith in your daily life. And that only happens in the context of relationships. 
That's why home groups are so much the heart of who we are as a church, because growing in our faith requires relationships with others so that we can walk together, so that we can encourage and comfort each other, so that we can hold each other accountable, so that we can move each other together. But that's not just true for us as believers. Listen, we also need to be intentional about doing life in relationships with non-believers with people who are far from God. Be intentional about building relationships with lost people, right? Statistics show that a Christian within seven years of becoming a follower of Christ, in seven short years, a Christian no longer, the average Christian no longer has any significant relationships with non-Christians, it kind of makes sense, right? You've got a new life. You're a new creation. You want to be with people who are going in the same direction as you are. And we need that. But at the same time, we need to remember to be intentional about connecting relationally with those other parents at the ball field, with the people that we work with in the break room, for the neighbors that we don't know and we don't have any idea what they believe or don't believe we're not just sharing the gospel. We're called to share our lives as well. In fact, I believe that is exactly what Paul is talking about in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Paul had led these people to Jesus. They weren't believers. He went as a missionary, led them to Jesus, stayed with them for some period of time to show them how to live out their faith. And then a few years later, he writes them a letter and look at what he says to them. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Reaching out with the good news of Jesus, sharing the reason for the hope we have is not an event, it is a lifestyle. It is a daily habit of caring about and connecting with the lost, hurting, and broken people around us. And here's the thing. Hanging out with Gentiles in Gentile homes, connecting with hurting, broken people, is messy. It's messy. And it's difficult. And quite frankly, it's very scary. I get that. But we can step out in our fear, in our ways we've always done it. We can push past all of that fear and get in that messiness that God has called us into because we have this promise. Jesus said, as you go, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, I know for me and I know for many of the people of this church that I love so dearly, that this is difficult, this is scary, this is messy, this is uncomfortable because it's not what we're used to. And so Father, I just confess my fears and I ask you to pour your love, your grace, your spirit and your strength into my life so that I might live out this habitude of sharing the hope that you bring with compassion in new ways to new kinds of people 
in new kinds of places. Father, move your church called Cedar Creek to push through the fears and get off the rooftop in Joppa and walk across whatever we got to walk across to meet the hurting, broken people in the Caesarea of our lives. Jesus, we love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.